0: Welcome ladies and gentlemen to another episode of the forum. Uh, Today we'll be discussing peacekeeping operations uh, and we have with us Dr. Tughul Yameen, uh, who is a retired brigadier of the Pakistan Army and is the founding member and associate dean of the Center for International Peace and Stability at the National University of Sciences and Technology in Islamabad. Uh, He's also the author of three books, The Evolution of Nuclear Deterrence and Its Impact on South Asian Stability. Uh, developing confidence building measures in the information space between India and Pakistan, and his most recent book, Peacekeeping Operations in Somalia, 1992 to 1995, A Pakistani Perspective. And that is something that we will be uh, hopefully discussing today. Uh, welcome to the podcast, uh, Dr. Yameen.
1: Uh, thank you very much, Andrasav. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and I've written uh, four books. Uh, it doesn't Sorry, matter. Geez. I didn't <laughs> miss. It. And uh, I have two more books in pipeline, and they have uh, solely to do with. Uh, uh, peacekeeping one is about the uh, pakistani perspective on peacekeeping uh, peacekeeping and the other one is on the history of uh, pakistani contribution to peacekeeping so i'm really into it into peacekeeping wonderful, wonderful. and uh, peacekeeping is a bread bread and butter because we teach peacekeeping at the center of international peace and stability absolutely so, so. anything that i can uh, do to so that, uh, that's
0: precisely so we, to, why we have you here because yeah, thank you uh, there's thank no one you. better to, to speak about this thank you uh, so so just moving into uh, you know some of the questions um I, I wanted to discuss the the evolution of peacekeeping, really, and and since the the fifties, when <clears throat> you know peacekeeping actually emerged as as, as something, um, it's now gotten to becoming peacemaking, to peacebuilding. Do you feel that this is a natural progression, uh, or do you feel that uh, you know the, these are more um, aggressive in nature, and that we sh- this may be a cause for concern?
1: I think uh, peacekeeping has evolved gradually, and it has all depended on the international environment. Uh, after the second world war uh, people were really fed up of uh, wars like uh, the first world war which was then called the great war and then the second world war uh, because it caused a uh, lot of casualties so people did not want wars so uh, after the second world war uh, un uh, came into being and uh, un the purpose of un stated purpose given in their charter was to save succeeding generations from the curse of war absolutely wars. Uh, And for that, uh, the first tool obviously was international diplomacy. And uh, since you've just told me that your father was also a diplomat, so who else uh, would better know that diplomacy is meant to stop wars, prevent conflicts, resolve conflicts. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Initially, the UN uh, was foreseeing a world government and in that they wanted to have their own standing army. But then the member states did not... uh, uh, could not build a consensus on that. There was There is, there is a military staffs committee, Absolutely. and it could not build a consensus yes. of having a standing army. Uh, the standing. The purpose of standing army was to enforce the writ of the so-called world government, which the UN was supposed to uh, uh, usher into the world, but it did not happen. Mm-hmm. So what they did was that they started uh, uh, banking on the member states to. Contribute forces, contribute troops for UN peacekeeping operations. UN peacekeeping keeping operations uh, began uh, from a very uh, modest, uh, with very modest aims. They were initially sent to only monitor ceasefires and to uh, keep the belligerents apart. In fact, they, they could hardly keep the belligerents apart, they could only monitor and report to the UN that this is what is happening I on the ground. I see, I see. And the initial, uh, and they were unarmed. They were unarmed. Wow. And uh, the cardinal principles of peacekeeping uh, which were uh, developed was that uh, they c- had to have the consent of parties. If they do, do not have the consent of parties, they could not do in a, conf- into a conflict zone. I see. I see, I see. That, that was the original peacekeeping. Wow. Now they even go without the permission of parties. Mm-hmm. And uh, the second was they had to be neutral. They would not take sides. And there have been instances where UN peacekeepers have tacitly taken sides, subconsciously taken sides. I see. Uh, because sometimes their core religiousness are located in the area. Mm. Sometimes there are political uh, angles to uh, peacekeeping uh, and uh, there are other, other, other reasons for that. Of course. So, so th- the UN has three cardinal principles. Uh, consent of parties, we will go only if the parties tell us to come. Second is... Uh, neutrality and third is uh, use of force only in self-defense I so see. the initial peacekeepers were without weapons but and they're, they had just gone equipped with binoculars so they could observe uh, the ceasefire violations and the first of that sort was uh, deployed in palestine uh un uh, uh truce uh, uh supervision organization un tso and the other was in pakistan india and pakistan of course and it, 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 it still exists it was uh, in palestine it was in 1948 in pakistan it was january 1949 it was united nations military observers group in india and pakistan i see absolutely so they are they still exist pakistan absolutely uh, they have an office they have an yeah. office nearby Indeed. and they still go uh, to check uh, monitor uh, ceasefires uh any, if there's any violation and i as a military officer when i was deployed on the line of control we hosted these uh, uh, observers many times india has stopped them from coming mm-hmm. uh, since 1971 uh, war and uh, they claim that now it's a bilateral issue under the assembly agreement so there's no use of uh, uh, observers and then they have unilaterally uh absorbed kashmir into the indian union and they mm-hmm. say the. the it's it's the end of story and we don't need you but they are still there so initially they were being sent there as uh, military observers first time uh, armed uh, intervention was made in uh, unef united nation emergency force and that was in the suez uh, uh, crisis no, 1956 I see uh, so. again they were supposed to be neutral but they were sent uh, because there were powerful nations involved uh, UK was enrolled, France was enrolled, and Israel was enrolled, mm-hmm. And we, we we all know now in hindsight that it was all uh, 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 selfish interests, commercial interests. And it, they had secret uh, uh, agreement in France, which was called the Protocol of Sevres, where they cooked up this entire story. Yeah. Uh, and uh, anyhow, the UNF, UNF went there once, and UNEF went there again also uh, after 1967 uh, war between uh, the Arabs and Israelis. So uh, it has been developing. Uh, the observers still go, but there are more uh, uh, more interventions, uh, more uh, uh, shall I say, kinetic interventions. Uh, my own battalion also went to Somalia Absolutely. in '92, uh, uh, And they went for humanitarian uh, aid under Chapter 6. But their uh, mission was transformed uh, into a CATCH I- ID mission in UNISOM 2. I see, and yes. that was also because the Americans wanted it that way. So it transformed from humanitarian supervision of uh, humanitarian Uh, aid which is coming into uh, uh, into uh, somalia and making sure that it uh, reaches the right quarters into just fighting with the warlords in uh, uh, adid in particular and uh, then the americans beat a history withdrawal after their uh, 18 of their marines were killed in the Black Hawk town anyhow uh, there are several things which have come into play now Uh, there is the uh, responsibility to protect Uh, which uh, has been approved by the UN. Pakistan, in fact, has been one which has been uh, uh, one of the advocates of uh, responsibility to protect. So responsibility to to protect actually tells you to go into a conflict zone without permission also. Uh, This thing was done because in Rwanda in 1994, there was a massacre. When, when Houthis and Tutsis are uh, fighting with each other, and the Canadian General uh, General Delisle uh, wrote it, sent a telegram uh, to the UN headquarters, and he said, "I have intel intel that they are going. There's going to be a massacre, genocide." Absolutely. Nobody heard him, so it happened. Uh, and then we also know that uh, there was uh, ethnic cleansing in Bosnia Herzegovina. So Pakistan was actually one who supported this uh, responsibility to protect thing. But then there is also some apprehension on the part of the nations that this could be misused by uh,
0: bigger countries. Come to become another uh, ground to violate sovereignty. Or, or absolutely.
1: Like absolutely. So uh, there are now uh, force intervention brigades. They can legally use force. I see. Uh, in DRC, Diplomatic Republic of Congo, where again 7FF, my unit, is now uh, part of the uh, UN peacekeepers. I see. I see. Uh, yes second time in the history of Pakistan Army that uh, unit has gone again. Uh, uh, but it is not a forced intervention, intervention brigade, the Pakistani brigade. I see. Uh, the forced intervention brigade can take part in com- combat operations. And mostly these uh, forced intervention brigades are Africans who belong to that area. I see, uh, I see. But anyhow, even our soldiers are supposed to stop bloodshed. What has been happening, uh, Anwar Sahib, is that... Uh, the, the rules of engagement had been not been clear. People were not uh, told exactly what to do. And there was a lot of uproar. How can you see a genocide taking place? How can you see rape as an instrument of war taking place? How can you see child soldiers being employed? So uh, now the UN has become more aggressive. Uh, good or bad, I think the jury is still out. But uh, uh, wherever they have gone, the, the UN peacekeepers have tried to uh, prevent conflict. Not that they have been very successful. In many places, some UN peacekeepers also have been included, uh, involved in malpractices Mm -hmm. like uh, sexual uh, abuse, um, uh, smuggling, and other things. Uh, The Indians were involved in in, in, uh, diamond trade in Liberia. So they were removed. Pakistanis were sent. (coughs) Liberia later became a success story. But uh, UN uh, UN secretaries have realized they have uh, uh, instituted uh, committees, uh, commissioned uh, 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 diplomats to come up with strategies of how to improve the quality of peacekeeping. Absolutely. The first uh, of uh, these uh, uh, requirements were given by Batrus uh, Khali. And uh, that paper, which was produced, actually formalized how the UN peacekeepers should operate. And then there was uh, uh, the uh, Brahimi report again, mm-hmm. that uh, uh, s- certain suggestions were given, which were accepted also. And then there was uh, the Hippo report, uh, uh, that also. Uh, brought in certain uh, good suggestions and advice. And the latest has been uh, instituted by uh, the current Secretary-General. It is called the Action for Peace. So people are working on it. Uh, There are, in the UN headquarters, there is uh, a whole department, UN peacekeeping department. And there's a lessons learned cell also. I see, see. yes. Various things are (coughs) important to us, so. So Absolutely, uh, peacekeeping becomes a better... So, so I so hope I'm not rambling no, around. No, no, not at all. So
0: we're, we're, this is extremely useful, Jay. Um, mm-hmm. so, so you spoke about accountability and I want to get to that. But but just before that, I want to talk about some of the, maybe the legal uh, aspects of, of, of this. Um, firstly, uh, you know, what, what is surprising to, to anyone studying is, is that even though, you know, these are UN peacekeepers, there's nothing in the UN charter that says, that mentions peacekeepers. So so under what authority does the UN send out uh, peacekeepers?
1: Yeah, There are, uh, first of all, the uh, decision to send peacekeepers is that of the UN Security Council. I see. Although uh, in the case of <coughs> UNF, the General Assembly decided. To, I see. Uh, I see. Uh, the purpose of UN is to, is to prevent wars. Absolutely. How do they do that? Diplomacy. And the second thing is peacekeeping. And the, they g- send uh, the peacekeepers under either Charter 6, which mm. is the Peaceful Resolution of Conflict or chapter 7 which allows them
0: the use of force i see, I see, I see.
1: so there is uh, they have the law on their side when they go there they make sure that the law is on their side they do, just do not go without uh, legal permissions but uh, since it has been taking place now since 1948 so it is very uh, become a international norm peacekeepers are Absolutely. not is not is nothing illegal in sending peacekeepers no no up. of course I, uh, and, and th- the precedences that exist because u.n security council when the u.n security council says that this is going to happen then it becomes legally binding on the member states and you know there are 193 member states almost Absolutely. all countries of the world barring a few smaller ones are member states of the nation uh, so sir so as i ask this because
0: um, so, so, you know when i was studying this back mm. in uh, my my master's um the the argument uh, was that uh, you know if the UN Security Council can authorize the use of force, then it can also authorize impliedly the use of peace uh, building oper- or peace peacemaking operations or, or, or peacekeeping itself, uh, and that's where that was implied within that power that the UN Security Council had under Chapter Seven um, there. So, so moving on to another uh, question and really the focus of of uh, you know what we do here at the uh, Diplomacy Law and Policy Forum is is looking at IHL international humanitarian law, and and could you you know, uh, explain to us a little bit about how IHL applies to blue helmets and, and whether, you know, this may undermine the protected status that that blue helmets or, or peacekeepers have uh, when they're deployed in the field.
1: Understand uh, now all countries uh, teach IHL to the Peacekeepers. Uh, we at the Centre for National Peace and Stability do it. Uh, we not only teach our peacekeepers; we also teach our students who are enrolled in the uh, in our MS and uh, PhD courses. So okay. IHL is very much uh, on our radar. We teach them uh, that uh, what is the law of armed combat. Uh, our troops know that and we tell them that you cannot violate it. Uh, the situation becomes a little complex because they uh, the so many times the parties to the conflict are non-state actors. So of application course, yeah. of uh, IHL becomes a little hazy over there because the other party does not believe in IHL. Mm-hmm. but anyhow the, the the soldier knows it that he has to... Protect the religious sites, heritage sites, uh, schools, or hospitals. They cannot be uh, bombarded or uh, made part of the combat. Any anyway, peacekeepers are told not to become parties parties conflict. That is Absolutely. not the, that is not their job. Mm-hmm. Uh, their job is to uh, prevent conflict or stop conflict. While the diplomats. Uh, try to negotiate peace uh, always in the background there there are the peace negotiations <clears throat> and only a political solution can resolve a conflict peacekeeping cannot resolve a conflict of course of and course many it. times uh, uh, peacekeepers are not welcome also by the uh, by one party or the other you mm-hmm,
0: know mm-hmm. that's, that's that's very true so uh, n- now if uh, you allow me if we could talk about that that concept sure. that you raised about ac- accountability you know peace uh, keeping missions have done such tremendous work uh you know they, they prevented a lot of bloodshed and a lot of violence but you know there have been allegations of of misconduct and and torture sexual abuse as as you mentioned as well um now the un has taken attempts to address this but but at times, it feels it's almost tokenistic, um, piecemeal, perhaps not an overall thing. And and really, the accountability of the the soldiers that are involved in peacekeeping operations is left to the to the uh, home state of those soldiers. Um, and we have a number of examples where you know the commensurate sentences haven't been given, such as you know the Belgian peace uh, paratroopers uh, roasting a Somali boy over a fire. Uh, I think he was given a month in prison and two hundred euros uh, fine. Um, so. so the Dutch. The the, the Dutch, absolutely. Yeah. That was another, uh, you know, blatant example yeah. uh, there. So in such... Srebrenica. Yeah. Absolutely, sir. So do, do you feel that the UN needs to take a much bigger role in this to take on accountability and hold these people accountable? And maybe the UN itself needs to be held accountable.
1: UN is uh, not a fair organization. You see, the mere fact that they have five more powerful veto-wielding members mm-hmm. goes to show that uh, UN is not... Uh, place where everybody has equal rights so there are lesser countries and there are stronger countries and there are always interests of the bigger countries that are involved uh, sometimes uh, uh, international c- uh, tri- <coughs> tribunals have been uh, og- uh, organized where war criminals uh, like the um, uh, bosnians have been tried mm-hmm. in in the Hague of course and, the uh, there's some uh, african leaders have also been tried but <clears throat> yes there is uh, sometimes a lack of will on the part of bigger states to actually penalize their soldiers as far as pakistan is concerned pakistan has taken a very very uh, strict role there is no uh, strict uh, stance on any violation of uh, uh, human right abuses or anything uh, in which uh, uh, this this soldier is found in violation of uh, the local laws or the international laws. Uh, Soldiers have been court-martialed and sent home. They've been repatriated. Uh, If there has been any evidence of, uh, for example, sexual abuse, uh, sexual exploitation and abuse, C, we call it, Mm -hmm. or for any other thing, uh, Pakistan has taken very strong action. We want to tell the world that we will not tolerate uh, any abuse of any sort. Uh, they are told in very clear words that when you are going to a conflict zone, you are not only upholding the mandate of uh, the United Nations, you are also uh, the uh, upholders of the good name of your country. So this has been told to them again and again and again. And strict action has been taken against uh, defaulters. That's what Pakistan does. But uh, yes, I agree. They have been very lenient view by some very strong countries of what has happened uh mm-hmm. in, in in certain countries they do it
0: no absolutely um so my last question is really looking at you know the power politics behind this and uh, that's fine is uh so my last question is really looking at the the power politics uh which are at play and and you know read really the role of the security council now we see that there are you know five permanent members and you just mentioned that you know the un system isn't necessarily a fair system um do you uh, so so the five members uh, a total of 15 that authorize un uh, peacekeeping missions and usually these are authorized in the global south right these are these are uh, missions that are taking place in developing countries poorer countries this imbalance uh, do we f- do we see that that this will ultimately undermine the role of peacekeepers or the role of the un for example in maintaining international peace and security sir uh,
1: in my personal opinion yes uh, for example, uh, UN peacekeepers will not be sent to Syria, will not be sent to Yemen. For that matter, they will not be sent to Ukraine. Mm. Because the uh, b- bigger powers, uh, the superpowers have their own interests in these areas. They don't want to send the peacekeepers. Uh, but on the flip side of the coin, you know that uh, our foreign minister and the Chinese uh, foreign minister, councillor, Wang Yi, uh, recently met in Beijing Absolutely. and they reiterated their uh, um, commitment commitment to UN system. They said yes, that they believe in the UN system and it should continue. So if they say so, that means that they have no alternative. I was mm. thinking that perhaps the Chinese would will be building a, a UN of their own, but they are probably not, at the moment they don't want it. Mm-hmm. So UN for whatever it is, good or bad, is still serving a purpose. It still provides you a platform where you can go and discuss your issues. Uh, at least it's recorded for absolutely. posterity uh, even if they ha- don't have solutions and uh, perhaps they have prevented big wars there has been no third world war so far that's
0: true <laughs> that, that's
1: true. so that's so UN system still functions
0: absolutely uh Dr. Torku mean thank you so much for 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 joining us and I think this was a very fruitful discussion uh it's going to give us a lot to think about uh thank you very much
1: sir. thank you very much thank you for inviting me